Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Chase. I'm Manny. And this is your War of the Bounty Hunters prelude spotlight. The last spotlight before War of the Bounty Hunters number one comes out tomorrow. What, what? Being released. Yeah, it comes out Wednesday, June 2nd, and we'll get into the, the nitty gritty of the story. So as we told you before, no reason necessarily to re- read the preludes. Uh, although it does enhance the story, and it kind of feels like they left the two most tangential books, the ones you need to read the least to understand War of the Bounty Hunters for last. And the other thing is, you know, most of the time there's only going to be one War of the Bounty Hunters book uh, per week, but this week there were two. Uh, so we had Dr. Afra number 10 and Darth Vader, I think it's issue number 12. Um, so, you know, much like the regular bounty hunters title, which we read last week, and Mandy didn't get as much out of it. I didn't get as much out of it at first, and then I went back and read the first eleven issues of Star Wars Bounty Hunters, and I got more out of it. I did not do that this time. I haven't read any of the Doctor Afra series, and I haven't read any of the Darth Vader series. Although I want to, uh, especially the Darth Vader series. It's Greg Pak, and I, I it. I just think it's a really good book from from what I have read of it. Um, the Charles Soule Darth Vader book was very good. The Karen Gillan Darth Vader book was very good. You know, I hate to be a cliche, but Darth Vader is just such a great character. He really, yeah. really is. He's, uh, I think, what sort of drives the Star Wars universe, which in my mind is part of the reason that the, the prequels aren't as interesting and the, I guess, the sequels, the final trilogy isn't as good. There's no Vader. And he, he's such a driving part of the story. You know, he's really the mm-hmm. engine of, of Star Wars in a lot of ways. So it's part of the reason I want to go and go back and read it. So I didn't get as much context out of these as I might have otherwise had I been up on these series. But I also didn't have time to go back and, and check it out. But they were they were OK. They, you certainly see how it ties in. And we're going to see a lot of the characters that we saw in Dr. Afra. Obviously, we're going to see the characters in in Darth Vader, that one ties in even more um, in this War of the Bounty Hunters. So I, I thought they were okay, but again, um, less necessary than any preludes that we've read so far. What, what do you what, do? You agree with that, Manny? Absolutely agree with you. I, I did get a little bit more out of the Darth Vader one, just as far as a something that happens, um, why he doesn't like Han Solo, like there's. And I and I really appreciated kind of that little nugget. As for Doctor Afra, I had beginning I had started reading her series when she first was introduced, and I just completely fell off of it. Uh, so yeah, I'm on the same boat where I don't if I, I knew it. I was like, man, if I was reading this, I know exactly what was going on. But unfortunately, I do not. Yeah, so let's go ahead and dive into the uh, the Doctor Afra. Let me share my screen here. So you guys should be able to see that uh, at this point. Um, so again, right there on the front, Prelude, The Invitation. Uh, the book is written by Alyssa Wong. Pencils are by Ray Anthony Height. Inks by Victor Olazaba. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by Joe Caramagna. That covers by Joshua Sway Swabi. And Guru EFX does the colors. And we're we're told kind of in this, this prelude here that the, the little blurb that Marvel likes to put in their books. Rogue archaeologist Dr. Afra is working for Dominina Tag. The job, still an experimental hyperdrive tech from Dominina's rival, Belle Durayet. To get it done, Afra has recruited smuggler Santa Staros, who I swear that name sounds familiar. Staros? I don't know if I've heard it in some other Star Wars context, but it really, really sounded familiar to me. Uh, but anyway, the ruthless General Uhara and her Unbroken Clan syndicate are also after the hyperdrive. Obviously, we heard a lot about the Unbroken Clan when we did uh, when I was reading the, the Bounty Hunter series, and it was also mentioned in last week's uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunters prelude. Um, the trial, this trail has led Afra and Sana to De Rea Center, where Bell plans to demonstrate his prototype. Bad news, it's a dangerous fake, even worth Vakuro's arrival uh, arrived rather and she's taken hostages so there's as i said there's a lot of stuff going on unbroken clan stuff uh corporate espionage corporate infighting between the this tag corporation 
and um, and the corporation that uh, Bell Rayet runs, this uh, Del Rayet Center, where apparently they're trying to build a, a bigger and better uh, spacecraft. So uh, Midar is apparently the planet or the city where this is all taking place. And you can see outside of the building, there's a bunch of, there's like a news crew. Um, there's a bunch of uh, Imperial troops and they're saying, yeah, there's this group of unknown assailants. Those assailants would be the unknown, uh, the unknown mob or what are they called again? Uh, unbroken clan rather. Uh, they've taken hostages. They want this power of this supposedly new cutting edge hyperdrive engine all to themselves. So once Staros and Dr. Afra get there, it seems like Dr. Afra is ready to just bail, right? She's like, uh, uh, this isn't any of my, my business. And Staros is like, well, we have to do something. And uh, Afra always looking out for herself. Like, yeah, we, what we got to do is get out of here. And, and Staros is like, no, you said it yourself. This is a fake hyperdrive engine. It's a death trap. If it blows up, it's going to kill everybody here. And if, if it doesn't blow up, then Vakara is going to kill everybody here. And Afra's like, yeah, everybody that includes us if we're still here. So, you know, we, we got to get out of here. And, Staros, apparently she's like the Jiminy Cricket to Afra. She's like, look, I, you do whatever you want, but I'm not going to stay here and watch people die because I'm too much of a coward to help. And that does sort of spur uh, Afra into action. And so they, they come up with a plan. Basically what happens is Afra kind of gives herself up to Vakara and says, look, uh, you've got these engineers and supposedly they're trying to build this hyperdrive engine that's based on an old lovely antique path engine and they don't understand that technology because they build modern ships. And what you really need is an, an expert, you know, somebody like me who knows these ships from the past. And uh, Bacara, you know, she's she's suspicious enough, but she's like, she wants this reward. This is worth a lot, right? If you can come up with a new hyperdrive engine that's better than everything out there. So she's willing to give Afra a try. And uh, Afra's like, great, and I get it fixed for you. You'll let me go. And Vakar's like, well, no, but I'll I'll let, I'll kill you last. And uh, Afra's like, well, that's not a great motivator. In in response to that, Vakar shoots somebody to kind of prove her point, like get to work or right. So Doctor Afra gets to work, telling herself, fix the impossible engine, no sweat. Uh, so meanwhile, Staros has managed to take out some of uh, Vakar's uh, other guards, some uh, others of the Unbroken Clan, and she's leading these uh, people outside to safety and then also tells the stormtroopers, hey, come in. Uh, we we found a way to escape and there's a lot of coworkers still inside. And so Staros is thinking, uh, man, I, I hope Afra's whatever her part of the plan is, I hope that she's taking care of it, right? Uh, as we turn the page, we get introduced into a couple of other characters. And again, if Manny and I were up on Dr. Afra, maybe this wouldn't matter to us, but we don't have any context. So Apparently these guys are like muscle or uh, kind of gophers or maybe even bounty hunters themselves, but they work for somebody named Wynn Delphis. Uh, the dark haired guy is named Just Lucky. Like, wow, you just got lucky, but his first name is Just and his last name is Lucky. Star Wars names, what are you going to do? Um, and the other guy is named Ariel. And what exactly they're doing, I don't have any idea. They sent them to do something with this guy, um, cause, but... Apparently things didn't go the way they expected. Ariel even says this, you know, this feels like a setup. So could, could win Delphus be sending us into a trap and Ariel's, nah, I don't really think so. I don't think he'd be using us as bait, but let's get back to win Delphus because this mission he sent us on is, you know, all foobar and, you know, let's go, let's go ask him ourselves. If we're, if we're wondering what's going on, you know, let's go get the answers directly from him. So meanwhile, back on Madar, Afra's still trying to fix this engine, which she knows she's not going to be able to fix because, again, it's a big fake. She's just stalling for time, hoping that the Imperial Stormtroopers will show up and sort of rescue everybody. And Vakara gets sort of fed up. She's like, okay, that's it. You had your chance. Um, but luckily, Afra has stalled long enough, and the Imperial Stormtroopers do show up, and they start fighting with the uh, Unbroken Clan. Most of the civilians are able to escape, and Afra's thinking, man, if one of these stormtroopers, and we all know how terrible a shot stormtroopers are. If a stray shot hits this engine, this fake path engine, it's going to explode, which was, you know, what they were worried about in the first place, which is why Staros and Afra 
chose to risk their lives uh, anyway. And she thinks, I got to get out of here before this blows up. But at that moment, she sees the, the power core of the engine and she thinks, well, even though it's a fake engine, even though it doesn't really work, I know the power core is going to be worth something. So she does grab it and start running. And it just in time too, because right as she does that is when a stray shot does hit the engine. And just as she predicted, everything explodes. Um, so she is able to die for cover. She's not injured. Staros has come back inside for her and says, hey, great job. Uh, get up. The building's not crashing down and around us uh, because basically because Afra took that core out. So even though the engine exploded, it wasn't the big giant explosion that would have happened had that power core uh, data core still been inside there. So they go ahead and make their escape under the cover fire of, um, you know, all these civilians running for cover and the, uh, the stormtroopers trying to lead everybody to safety. And right as they're uh, leaving, Vakara does come running out after them, um, saying, hey, you, you know, you're, you're not going to escape, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Sara Staros actually shoots her in the eye. Um, so, you know, she's not going to let that go. And so uh, it seems like if they weren't already enemies, uh, Santa Staros may be public enemy number one for the Unbroken Clan now, based on that, because... General Vakara definitely seems like somebody who would hold a grudge. So meanwhile, they head back over to Tag Space. They're aboard the uh, Inquisitor, and they're uh, speaking to uh, you know this woman, Domini, uh, Dominia Tag, who hired her to uh, hire Doctor Afra to go instill this engine. And they don't bother to tell her that yeah, the engine that you hired us to steal, it was a it was a fake. Um, but when she finds out that they didn't steal the engine, she she's pretty pissed off, right? And Afra's trying to tell her, well, don't be mad. It, you know, it wasn't a real engine. Um, it, it wouldn't have been of any value to you. Um, so, they, you know, the, the bull engineers, they didn't have any idea what it was. It was just an expensive piece of garbage. And his engineers were trying to pass it off as something important, but it, it wasn't. So we saved you the trouble. And Dominia, she didn't want to hear it, right? She's like, wait, I hired you to steal an engine, whether it was fake or not, I hired you to steal an engine and instead you got it blown up, right? And Afra's like, yeah, I guess technically. And Dominia's like, well, that's it. That you Like you failed me. And so she tries to seal them both in this containment field, which where apparently they'll suffocate. Afra's able to kind of dodge out of the way at the last second, uh, but but Santa Staros is trapped and going to suffocate. So Afra pulls out her, her ace in the hole going, well, let, let's not be hasty. You know, I, I was able to get a little souvenir. Here's the crystal core of the original path engine. You know, maybe you can derive some information or some power or find something. Um, and Dominia says, oh, you know, not not a complete failure. Okay. Uh, maybe you guys are, are worth keeping around. And she lets uh, Staros out of the little bubble she's in and says okay let, let me give you another chance let me give you a, another mission and she tells them about this guy even drake who runs a very uh, profitable smuggling ring on kaderin and um it's nothing that tag corporation could be linked to publicly but obviously they do have dealings with him and he's been sort of hard to get a hold of and afro's like oh so runaway lover she's like oh, more like a cousin right um and, you know, we, we discussed an opportunity with him and he's supposed to be taking part in this opportunity. But ever since we initially talked to him about it, we haven't heard from him. Um, and so basically what Dominia wants him to do is go and locate him and remind this Eben guy about what his obligations are. So not like Afra and Staros have a choice, you know, they already failed one mission, they're sort of obligated to take on this one. And so they do go out uh, on their way to try to find this Eben guy. While Dominia stays behind, she talks to her head of security. Apparently there's a mole. So, you know, a lot of political intrigue in this uh, Afra book, apparently. And so they're trying to find out who in the tag corporation may be selling secrets and how that might play into everything. And will that mole be passing along information to some bounty hunters with Afra and, and Star, uh, Staros heading off to try to find this Eben guy. We don't really know. 
Um, but meanwhile, on their ship, Staros and Afra are talking, and uh, Staros is like, "I can't believe you you gave up that core so easily. Uh, the, you know that was that was worth so much." And Afra's like, "Well, it it sort of worked out. Plus, the core is damaged; it's corrupted. If they're going to get anything out of it, they're going to need the help of somebody, maybe like an archaeologist and a slicer. Uh, you know, somebody who knows computers really well, which." is very much Dr. Afra. So it's almost like she gave that corrupted data core to Dominia because she knows in the end when Dominia can't extract anything and then if Afra is able to extract something, then it makes Afra look uh, all the better, right? So they're on their way to hunt down Eben and you know, you just know that they're going to cross paths with the bounty hunters, the Han Solo encased in carbonite, bounty hunter, uh, Boba Fett and, and all that. So meanwhile, uh, just lucky and uh ariel have made it back to uh Wendelphus, who's the leader of the sixth kin which is sort of the other big uh criminal group in the galaxy besides the unbroken clan and he's telling them that um there's a former lieutenant that used to uh, that had fled to canto blight where they previously were and he's ex- uh, attending an exclusive event and they need to go and and hunt him down and eliminate him because he's betrayed uh, the sixth kin so they get their coordinates they get their orders and they're off on their mission as well and so again we know just based on you know a little blurb here to be continued in star wars where the bounty hunters number one these four are on sort of a collision course and we know that collision course is likely going to involve as i said han solo and carbonite all these different bounty hunters. There's just a lot of characters. It seems like that are a lot of storyline, a lot of plot threads that are all going to be mashed up in star Wars, where the bounty hunters number one, um, is it necessary? I don't know. I mean, you understand this is very much a classic comic book crossover in terms of, Hey, we're going to mash up all the star Wars titles and tell one big sprawling story and obviously the hope from a marketing perspective, if you're Marvel, is that people are going to pick up Dr. Afra, they're going to pick up Darth Vader, books they might not read otherwise, and they're going to enjoy them enough. And, you know, the other plot lines and thread uh, story threads that are going through them are going to be interesting enough that they continue to read it when the crossover is over. I mean, that's the whole reason. Other than doing a crossover is just a whole lot of fun. Um, but that was more like why you did crossovers. It was for story reasons why you did crossovers in the beginning. I would certainly say for the last 20 years, the reason comic book publishers do crossovers is to get people to pick up books they wouldn't normally pick up and they hope that they stay with those books and keep reading them. So again, uh, and there's a little blurb here from Alyssa Wong, the writer, which talks a little more about War of the Bounty Hunters and Dr. Afra, and get a little more information. And then we do have the checklist that we've been seeing all along. So here's all the books uh, that are preludes. And then, of course, this June 2nd, we've got War of the Bounty Hunters uh, number one on Wednesday. And then, you know, each subsequent week, we have uh, another part of the story. So um, it's probably my least favorite of all the prelude issues we've read so far. Um, I should go ahead and show you the, there's Alyssa's letter. And then, as I said, the checklist. but the other part of this is just, I like Manny and I said at the top, I just don't have any context for this. So it makes it sort of tough to understand. Now, uh, I was reading Darth Vader when Kieran Gillen introduced Dr. Aphra. And I will say, and again, this was years ago. I will say this Dr. Aphra seems, she seems to have a little less of an edge. Like I felt like when Dr. Aphra was introduced in the pages of Darth Vader, she had sort of a chip on her shoulder. Um, and I don't really sense that with Alyssa Wong's uh, characterization, but I have no idea if that's good or bad or how it's supposed to be because I haven't been reading it. And I don't know, you know, like I said, what's been going on, but uh, it was enjoyable enough. Does it make me want to go back and read Dr. Afra? Mm, not necessarily. What I will say is overall, this whole War of the Bounty Hunters event so far has made me want to get caught up on all sorts of Star Wars uh properties you know not just the comics but also you know mandalorian and the movies i haven't seen and clone wars and all that stuff just because i know it's such a rich world and i and i used to love star wars i'm I'm more of a star trek guy now same as manny um 
but I think there are good stories there and, and it would be interesting to uh, experience those, but it's a matter of sort of finding uh, the time, of course. Uh, and I, and I do find, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the Darth Vader book. I do find the, the books and the stories that I enjoy the most are the ones though, where I do have context. So, you know, that very first star Wars series from Marvel after they got the license, that book in terms of timeline and setting very much lived between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, uh, episode four and episode five. Uh, and so I had, I had context. And we've talked before in the past about how much can you really do when you know the characters have to end up on Hoth to, you know, at the beginning when Empire Strikes Back starts. So how much can you really do? Well, apparently a lot. Um, and like I said, when we, get to, um, when we get to Darth Vader, you'll see how with everything that has now been built between the prequels and the, the the last trilogy, they're bringing in some of that canon, right? Like Exegol, uh, that whole concept of Exegol and it being this dark planet of Sith or whatever, that's brought into the Darth Vader book, which in current time right now at Marvel, the Star Wars books that are coming out are between, you know, just like we're the bounty hunters, the events take place in between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So the fact that we're going back before Return of the Jedi and we're injecting ideas, story ideas from the movies that come after or come before, I think it's really cool. And the fact that these movie, or these comics, these stories are living between those two movies that I've seen hundreds of times, um, I do have context for it. And it does feel like it's enriching not just the event of War of the Bounty Hunters, but it's enriching those movies and adding to that sort of... Um, that sort of uh, setting as well, right? So um, overall, I thought it was okay. But uh, just like Manny said, if, if, if either one of us had been reading this, we probably would have got a lot more out of it. So, uh, and, and the art is fine. I mean, Ray Anthony Height is a, is a very capable artist. Um, you know, the color work is fine. Uh, I, I feel like in, for this particular script, there wasn't a lot here for Ray Anthony to sh kind of show off. I mean, there is some action, but it's it's sort of passive action with the ship blowing up and everything. There's not like a cool, you know, lightsaber battle or, you know, battle in space with spaceships or anything like that. And so um, it's it's more of a talking head issue, but I, I definitely feel like he he does a good job with the art. So uh, anyway, that that's all I got to say about uh, Dr. Afra. Manny, what do you have to add? Well, just because I, I kind of knew the base of the character from when she was first introduced, it was it was enjoyable. But I, I do feel like almost as if Doc, Dr. Afra has been kind of toned down a little bit to fit like more of a more of a teenager, young adult audience than than just full on adults, which there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, you, you always need different characters for um, for different age groups and then everyone can enjoy them if they want. Uh, so I, that's what that's what this felt like. Like this was going to be the show. Doctor Doctor Afro was going to be showcased more more for that age group as far as this whole uh, group of of stories put together for uh, for the bounty hunter uh, war of the bounty hunter event. So that you know to for grabber for for those people. Um, I, I thought that was fine. Not my cup of tea as far as a book that I want to be reading. Uh, but it also has to do with the fact that I, like you were saying, I don't have that connection with, with her character. Like I do with a Darth Vader or with some of the other characters that, that we've seen already. So it's, it was okay. But yeah, I can see why they left this at the end because uh, if you're going to tie things in and, you know, this is not going to be one of those uh, moments where it's going to keep keep you excited to keep reading the series, which uh, in case you did read it and then you were like, oh, it's not doesn't really connect much. You already have the number one coming out next week to get to get you right back into it. Yeah, it's good point on timing. And I mean, you know, we said both Darth Vader and Dr. Afro tie in just very tangentially. Darth Vader more so, at least Han Solo is in Darth Vader, shows up in Darth Vader. Luke Skywalker shows up in the Darth Vader book. Uh, you know, it's it, that storyline is mentioned. And Dr. Mm -hmm. Aphra, these four characters are on their way, you know, 
the, the two partner teams, they're each on their way to do different things. It's not Han Solo is not even mentioned. Like, right. Obviously we know these are going to tie in um, for the next couple issues into this event, but we don't know how, we don't know why, we don't know where. And, and like I said, Han Solo is not even, not even mentioned, but when we get to the Darth Vader book, like I just said, uh, that's, that's not necessarily the case. So if we're looking at the Darth Vader book again, uh, you see in the lower right there, Prelude into the Trap. Uh, it is written by Greg Pak. We have art by Gui Villanova, Dean White, and Giada Marchisio. Handle the colors. Joe Caramagna does the letters. And uh, on the little virtual screen call here, War of the Bounty Hunters Prelude and Into the Trap, Emperor Palpatine finally revealed to Darth Vader a mere glimpse of his power on Exegol. So that's exactly what I was talking about with what is so cool in setting these comics in certain time periods, this one specifically between empire strikes back and return of the Jedi is we can bring in a concept like Exegol, which as far to my knowledge, didn't even show up until the, the final trilogy. So once Vader uh, had had this power revealed to him, it uh, forced Vader to kneel before his master. once more Vader's beginning to understand the full scope and miter might of the emperor's plans for the galaxy and now Vader's own plans must change. And again, if you aren't privy to what Vader's plans are, because I'm not 100% sure, because it's been a long time since I've read the Darth Vader title, as I mentioned. And I think this is the third volume, because we had the Karen Gillan Darth Vader, we had the Charles Soule, and now we've got the Greg Pak. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Vader's plans were the same as any Sith's apprentice plans. That is to become the master and no longer be the apprentice. So most likely his plans involved taking out the, uh, the emperor in some way. So um, the story starts off on Corsica and Vader's damaged. Now, I, when I at first started reading this, I said, oh, well, is he damaged from the fight that he had with Luke Skywalker uh, and Cloud City? Or is it something else that happened in previous issues? I think it's something else that happened in previous issues. Maybe something happened on Exegol because he seems a lot more damaged than than the how damaged we saw Vader at the end of the, the movie Empire Strikes Back. So uh, he is there and people are saying, you know, make way for him. And there's a few of the Emperor's uh, servants. You know, you see the Emperor here and uh, they kind of wonder what shape Vader's in. And one of them says something along the lines is, you know, look at how much damage he's taken. How, how is he even still alive? And the response is his hatred gives him power, which I think is a very, uh, if you're going to sum, uh, sum up Vader, that's a very uh, succinct way of, of accurately uh, summing up who, who Vader is. So another one of the emperor's advisors does say, um, we know Vader's trying to kill you. Why do you, why are you saying to restore him completely? <laughs> And the emperor's like, almost everybody I meet wants to kill me. That, that he's no different. And now that Vader has seen the might of Exegol, he knows what his role is. He'll he'll stay subservient. And once I, you know, once he's fully repaired and healed, I'll find a, a more appropriate target for his hate. Which again, this is foreshadowing of uh, of that scene in the throne room for for Return of the Jedi. We know that they that uh, the emperor the emperor wants to turn Vader's hate against his son, Luke, uh, Luke Skywalker. So um, the emperor basically says, I'm, I'm the emperor. I'm powerful. You don't need to worry about me. Um, just worry about yourselves. I'm, I'm beyond Vader's reach and I am above your notice. So uh, don't worry at all. And then as Vader's about to be uh, repaired, healed, whatever uh, the med, uh, the med bots like, okay, be ready. Are you ready for shutdown? And Vader says, no. So <laughs> the med bots like, okay, as you wish. And basically what Vader said, Medbot's like, yeah, we're going to knock you out. The equivalent of knock you out while we repair you. Um, and Vader doesn't want, doesn't want that. He doesn't want to be shut down. He, I think it's that resentment, the fact that he's more machine than man. He wants to stay awake. But obviously what, <laughs> what that entails is a lot of pain. Uh, as you can see, Vader cry out as he's, uh, as he's being repaired. But maybe as a way to focus, um, and you even see right here, it's one of the, you know, here's Vader losing even more of his humanity as a hand is removed to be replaced by cybernetics. But I think as a way to deal with the pain, um, what Vader does is he sort of uh, thinks back over recent events. 
he thinks back uh, on his fight with uh, his son, Luke Skywalker, and he thinks back on his hate. Is his hate giving him power? Is it, is it not? Um, and will he be able to ultimately defeat his, uh, his son, right? Because he hasn't been able to lead his son to the dark side yet, right? Um, despite the fact that he chopped his son's hand off, despite the fact that he shocked his uh, son, he shocked Luke Skywalker with the truth of his parentage. Um, none of that has led Luke to hate. And that's what Vader needs, right? If Vader wants to replace the Emperor, he needs Luke to turn to the dark side to become his apprentice so that Vader can then you know, ascend to being uh, the master. And so he's, uh, again, well, as a way to deal with the pain, most likely, he's remembering back, you know, and he's, he's thinking, you know, Luke, you're weak. You, you could have ruled the galaxy by my side, um, but, but you're weak. You've never done anything on your own. Every time you've uh, had a victory, it's been help with your friends, right? And we get a flashback to the Battle of Yavin, and we all know the, the scene with uh, the Millennium Falcon shooting uh, Vader's TIE fighter, and it goes spinning off into space. Um, that famous line from Han Solo, you know, Yahoo, blow this thing, kid, so we can all go home. And um, and then after that, uh, Corellia sometime later. So this, this may pull in uh, a scene from a previous Star Wars comic. I don't know. Uh, I did mention that previous Star Wars series that was set between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. Um, but apparently Vader did track down Han Solo and Chewbacca on Corellia and uh, Chewbacca and Han Solo had to, had to basically run for their lives from Vader. Their hyperdrive still wasn't working at this point. And what they end up doing is hiding out amongst a bunch of other Corellian freighters um, as Han Solo is sort of lamenting, man, ever since Luke blew up the Skywalker, we've just been on the run. Like we can't get uh, away from these, you know, imperial threats. And so they are able to, to sort of hide out amongst all these other ships that, um, that look the same as them. Uh, and then, you know, Vader goes looking for them and he finds, this is where he finds out who Han Solo is. He actually gets a name for this Nemeth. Han Solo is sort of becoming a nemesis for him. You know, Luke Skywalker is uh, his enemy in a different way. It's his son and has the power of the force and obviously wants to corrupt him. I think he just wants Solo to pay. He just wants Solo to suffer, right? Um, for causing him to lose the battle of Yavin for, uh, you know, evading capture in this instance for, you know, always being sort of a, a thorn invader side in, in a much different way than Luke has always been. Um, and so then uh, when they go to talk to the, basically the dock master of, of this sort of uh, spaceport, that's when they do find out who Han Solo is. And at that point, again, adding to the canon of the movies, Han Solo's now, he's now on Vader's list, basically. He's on uh, Vader's radar. Like, okay, how can I use Luke's friends against him, right? And then we see that that famous scene from The Empire Strikes Back on the top there where uh, they, the Empire landed uh, on the planet Hoth and they almost caught them, although the Millennium Falcon was able to um, escape at the last moment. Then there's the famous scene in, from the middle of the movie where Vader says, okay, you guys need to track down Han Solo. Um, and then we see Han being tortured at Bespin City. Again, didn't even ask any questions directly from the movie. It's all about torturing Han, threatening Leia so that Luke, through the power of the Force, will uh, realize his friends are in trouble and, and show up in, in Cloud City. And then we get the scene where Han is actually um, encased in carbonite. And, and like I said before, this is all additive. This is all bringing more context to the movie. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant what Greg Pak is doing here, right? Because we're told in the movie that, you know, Vader was, he made this deal with Boba Fett. Boba Fett was the one that sort of tracked them down uh, at Cloud City and knew where they were. He informed Darth Vader. Darth Vader shows up. Hey, I'm going to give you Han. Oh, wait, but I'm going to encase him in carbonite first. Oh, wait, I'm actually going to give him to you, but I'm going to take, Leia and Chewbacca, this is, again, it's all additive. And we know because of everything that Vader's gone through, because Han's been a pain in his ass all this time, that, that Vader really didn't care. This was just another way to torture Han Solo. And if Han had died, Vader would have been fine with that. So once 
Vader is completely repaired. Again, all these flashbacks have, have been a way for him to occupy his mind while he was being repaired. Um, Vader basically says, what is your will, my master? And the, the emperor basically says, uh, you know the secrets of Exegol. You've seen the dark side. You know the way of the Sith. You know, time to step up. Decide for yourself what's next. And so Vader recruits a bounty hunter and actually heads to, uh, to Tatooine and uh, all the time thinking um, about how things are between him and Luke Skywalker as it stands right now. He's thinking, you know, you, you could have had so much power, Luke, but you don't understand the true purpose of the Sith. And, and now I finally do after seeing the power of, of Exegol and there is no room for another. Um, and so the next time I meet you, I'm going to kill you. Uh, you will die basically is what he's saying. So with this bounty hunter that Darth Vader has uh, recruited, they basically go and threaten Jabba the Hutt saying, uh, we want Han Solo and apparently you've lost him. And uh, Jabba the Hutt's like, no, Han Solo was stolen. Boba Fett was supposed to be bringing him to me. But, you know, he stopped off on the smuggler's moon. Han Solo was stolen. I don't have him. And uh, they don't really care, you know, to be honest. Uh, they're saying, well, you need to recover him and and give him to us. And uh, Jabba's like, I, how, you know, you can't talk to me like that. I don't, I don't work for you, Ochi of Bestoon. Um, and none of my regular Imperial contacts have have spoken to me in such a foolhardy way. And, uh, and Ochi's like, um, well, I, I don't serve the emperor. I serve power today, Jabba. That's what I serve. And I serve Vader. And now so do you basically. And that, that's the last page. So apparently Vader, you know, in, I don't know if it was him thinking back on what a pain in the ass that Han Solo has been for him all this time or if there's some other reason, but despite the fact that he agreed to give Boba Fett uh, Han Solo's body encased in carbonite, it seems like Vader wants him back. Maybe he just wants to do the same thing that he did in Cloud City. Maybe he just wants Han ba back to use him as bait for Luke now that he's decided that, uh, that Luke needs to die. So uh, we're definitely getting to the uncharted territory here in terms of the events and what we know of Vader between the two films, between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And I'm totally here for it. Um, the art is solid, but not, it's not my favorite. It's a little, especially for a Star Wars comic, it's a little, the line work's not quite as clean as I would like it. Uh, but I think the story, the pacing, the dialogue, all of that is is really, really good. And just to kind of reiterate on one of the points I made earlier about how much more context I get out of this one because I've seen Empire Strikes Back. I've seen Return of the Jedi. I know all the important characters I need to know here. That's not the case with the uh, with the Dr. Aphra issue, obviously. But this, I have context for. This, I understand. You can understand why Vader... And you, always, you almost wonder why hasn't Vader complained about Han Solo before? Because he's right. At every turn... Han Solo's been there to help out Luke, to help him evade capture, to help him win the Battle of Yavin, to help Leia uh, escape from Hoth. Like it's always Han Solo who's been there to, to help Luke, you know, saving him out there um, on the frozen plains of Hoth, right? Stuffing him in the Tauntaun. So uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Uh, much like Dr. Aphra, all the other issues we've had so far, we get a little uh, letter from Gray Pak about how this ties into the, uh, to the overall War of the Bounty Hunters. And I love that we're getting this extra context with, with Vader because in terms of just pulling context of the movies, we know that Luke escaped, Han was taken away by Boba Fett in the Carbonite, and then he shows up in Jabba's palace. Um, and then we don't see Vader until he shows up on the, uh, you know, the half-built Death Star uh, orbiting the, the moon of Endor. And so... We, we have no idea what Vader was up to in between the two films, right? Well, this is adding context. This Darth Vader series and this War of the Bounty Hunters event is uh, is adding context. And I'm glad Vader's a part of it because like Manny and I said right at the top, so much of what Star Wars is, is Darth Vader. He, he drives the plot. He drives the story. He's a very, very important character. I don't think we can really overstate 
how important Darth Vader is to um, to the Star Wars universe. So I thought this was excellent, uh, despite the fact that it just ties in, as I said, tangentially. Um, I think if you're only going to read one of these, definitely read Darth Vader. It matters more. Um, like I said before, Han Solo is actually mentioned here. We actually get context. We see Jabba the Hutt. So how this all plays out, I'm I'm curious to see. Um, so yeah, I thought it was great. What are your thoughts, Manny? All right, let's get the elephant out of the room first. Can you go to the second to last page? Uh, second to last page. Yeah, let me share my screen again. So this page? Yeah, look at Java. It's been working out, bro. Look at those arms and those <laughs> abs. What the hell is going on there? I, yeah, I did notice that he seemed much less... I don't know, slug-like and obese. <laughs> then I have <laughs> never seen him so fit for a hut. <laughs> yeah, well, when you see him, so I just recently watched uh, episode four. I hadn't seen it in quite a few years, and my daughter had never seen it, so I wanted to watch it with her, and then I wanted to watch Empire Strikes Back, and I wanted to see her reaction when, you know, Vader, I am your father. But apparently, that got spoiled for her in the second grade. Because in her words, all the second graders were just talking about it all at the same time. So that so I was disappointed oh, wow. there. But anyway, the reason I mention it is because, you know, when George Lucas went back and added all that stuff and special editions or whatever, and he, he went back and they, they added Jabba the Hutt into um, I knew episode four. Mm-hmm. He's much smaller there than he is later. But you just figure, well, he's a hut and they're super greedy and, you know, slobs and uh, – gluttonous and whatever and you just figure yeah Jabba was able to actually move or slither around or whatever you want to say it you know the slug like creatures that that he is um and then by the time we get years later to return the Jedi um because he's been so successful in his criminal enterprises he's eaten himself to the point you know to the (laughs) point where he's so fat that he can't now he can't even move himself. He's on that platform that moves around from place to place. Well, this um, is well, this is post Empire. Yeah, we're we're only we're only headed to it. Right. Uh, so he 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 must. But this, but this Jabba looks much more like that Jabba that we saw in Episode Four. That Jabba looks like he's gonna ask him, "Do you even lift, bro? <laughs> How much you bench?" <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> that is that is an uncomfortable sight. I'm gonna be honest. I wonder um, if Vader. I wonder if he tries to defy Vader, and Vader gives him a beatdown, and that's when he becomes like unable to move or has some sort of injury, and he, you know, you know, like people you know, get in a car accident, cool. and they, you know, they they become more sedentary. They can't move around. Yeah. Can't he can't go to the gym? Jabba can't go to the gym anymore because <laughs> of a, a, a bum knee. <laughs> yeah, Vader gave him a beatdown, and now, yeah, he just. He he he's depressed about it. He eats himself into uh, the the Jabba we know from Return of the Jedi. Yeah. So 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 the next thing I wanted to mention is apparently Star Wars Darth Vader Eleven that came out in April uh, has this phenomenal encounter between Darth Vader and and um, Darth Sidious. And I don't want to talk about it anymore because if you haven't read it. It's a hundred percent worth looking into. As a matter of fact, you know, because of because of this, I'm going to go back and and go start from number one. Uh, it's not too many books, uh, just so I can get to this moment. Because it, is that it, the like, uh, is that the moment on Exegol that they're yeah on Exegol that they're that they're referencing? Gotcha. And uh, the the backstory behind that on how that all leads up is very interesting. And what's happening is is uh, very Sith. Sith business, as you as you kind of mentioned it. So, um, but it, it's good. It's really really good, and I'm gonna go back and read it, which gives me a lot more context for this, in the condition of how he's left, and then it makes it makes that moment near the end where he, um, where he asks, "What is your will, my master?" So much more impactful. Mm. Uh, very exciting stuff. Very cool, and uh, it makes sense why what uh, Sidious's lackeys are all very concerned. Um, so, 
So what you're saying is the the Marvel marketing plan of pulling in these other issues for this crossover has completely worked on you. You're going to go for for Doc for, for Darth, Darth Vader. Vader yes, uh, Doc Af- <laughs> Doc Afra. No, no. <laughs> um, but the other thing I I really appreciated, and you talked a little bit about it, and it was my favorite thing about the issue, is that little context we get about Darth Vader's encounter with ha- encounters with Han Solo, and yeah, I mean I know the Star Wars mythology and everything, but kind of to put them all together and to just really recap, like yeah, he's been a, he's been a thorn at his side for a while and one of his biggest failures is thanks to Han Solo. Uh you really think about it, it's like, oh okay, this is he really hates him or he has a reason to hate him. And it's something that we would if it wasn't for these books, we would never know about because they're not gonna they're not gonna make the movie again. And you know, the 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 way that, that it's chronic that it's told uh, told here in in this book it just it's just so simple and so easy and it's just that much more of 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 uh of knowledge that we get into th- that Star Wars universe about those relationships the interconnecting relationships that that were those three movies uh for me that's what made this book that much better and then it also gives me a little bit more context as to why he's going to go after him particularly of in in War of the Bounty Hunters because if it was just a transaction to get him over to the huts for for what what he's owed, uh, then he obviously he wouldn't care, and there there really wouldn't be a motive a motivating factor for Vader to go after Solo in in this uh, event. But with this issue, we can see that he has a chip on his shoulder because of all these things that have happened. And so also with what's going on with Darth Sidious, he's going to have to take it out on somebody and he's picked Han Solo. Yeah. It's like during his operation surgery, whatever he, in his mind, he had a Han Solo supercut and he didn't like the way it looked. So yeah. Um, absent uh, somebody throwing together a YouTube supercut uh, of why Darth Vader hates Han Solo. This is the closest we're going to get. And, and plus we get that scene on Corellia where, Han was able to elude capture by just hiding his ship, hiding the Millennium Falcon up, up amongst a bunch of other YT freighters. And that can't have uh-huh. sat well with Vader. You know, any Vader, one thing you say about Darth Vader, he is a very, very sore loser. He does not oh, yeah. <laughs> like to lose. Uh, so as evidenced by all the, we were watching Empire Strikes Back. So with my daughter and I, we've seen the first, I've watched the first two with her recently. Um, and yeah, all the force choking, uh, that he was doing Empire Strikes Back, she caught on pretty quick that you don't want to bring Darth Vader bad news. Uh, you don't want to be the guy that tells him, uh, yeah, Han Solo escaped again. Or Oh, you don't even uh, have to be on the same ship. No, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. So, uh, yeah, so I, I guess that's going to do it for these these two issues. Um, I, I will say, yeah, the Dr. Afro was probably the low point when it comes to these preludes. Um think all the rest were are probably definitely worth reading afra kind of eh. um but n- not that i think it's a bad comic i just I, I don't see at this point yet how it really ties in but after having four weeks of these um these preludes man i am so ready to get back on board with what the heck's going on with boba fett uh you know let's get into the main event already uh, I'm really, I'm really ready for it. So very much looking forward to tomorrow's uh, War of the Bounty Hunters number one, and then uh, hopefully we'll be back on a regular schedule, bringing you the spotlight on on Friday of this week for War of the Bounty Hunters number one. Uh, so written by Charles Soule, Steve McNiven on art should be a, a really good time. So uh, anything else to add, Manny? As we're closing up here? Uh, no, I think I think we said everything. Uh, for me, I think. Um... I'm going to put probably the Bounty Hunters one as the least of my favorites of the bunch. Yeah, that one's really hard. Yeah, it's really hard to follow that one if you don't, especially because we talked about it at the time. Mm. Ethan Sachs jumps around into different time periods. Yeah. If you haven't read the Bounty Hunters series up to that point, that one's just, that's a chore to read. It's really confusing. So, yeah, I agree. That's it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Uh, all right, everybody. Uh, that, that does it for this episode. Again, thanks for uh, checking us out on YouTube if that's where you're watching it or, uh, or listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Be sure you go and check out our uh, interview with Jim Starlin uh, from last week. Uh, we have a, a cool Kickstarter spotlight coming up this week. Uh, a lot of interviews coming up. As always, people are reaching out left and right. We're, we're really hopping, which is great. Um, and, and that's due to a lot of you, right? Like we wouldn't do this, uh, if it, if it weren't for your listeners and for your support and the fact that our, our numbers continue to grow is the reason that people reach out to us now, as opposed to the other way around. <laughs> um, so now it's kind of, it kind of goes both ways. So I really appreciate that. I will remind everybody there's a big, huge event coming up, uh, in August. So be sure you're following us on social media to hear about how you can, uh, get a hold of a bunch of great artwork and, um, all kinds of other really cool things, autograph comics, autograph trade paperbacks, maybe even uh, a chance to, uh, to chat online with some of your, uh, your favorite comic creators. So big, big things happening at the comic source. And we do appreciate your support as always. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the comic source podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, Stitcher, Google play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.